There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This podcast contains violence, adult themes, and material that may be disturbing to some listeners. Listener discretion is strongly advised. True North True Crime is produced on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territory of the Squamish, Musqueam, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. On the evening of November 17, 2019, 26-year-old Marshall Iwasa sat at the kitchen table with his mom, Tammy. After helping her with some computer problems, he decided to make the drive from her home in Lethbridge back to his apartment in Calgary. It was 11 p.m., so Tammy, being a loving mom, suggested that Marshall stay the night and make the two-hour drive in the morning. Marshall declined his mom's offer. He said he had to stop at his storage locker on the north side of Lethbridge on his way back to Calgary. He said goodnight to his mom and drove off in his dark blue 2009 GMC Sierra pickup truck. That would be the last time Marshall would be seen or communicate with anyone. On November 23rd, just six days later, Marshall's burned-out truck would be discovered by hikers deep in the backcountry outside of Pemberton, British Columbia, some 1,100 kilometers away. This is the disappearance of Marshall Iwasa, and this is True North True Crime. Welcome back to True North True Crime. This is episode five, and we are your hosts. We want to start off today by thanking all of you for your support. Thank you to everyone for subscribing to our podcast and giving those five-star reviews on Apple. It really does help with our visibility. And if you're liking what we are doing, please tell a friend. For updates, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at TNTCPod or like our Facebook page. We love getting all of your tips and suggestions for cases. In fact, today's episode was suggested to us by a family member of Marshall Awasa. They had reached out to us after our Jordan Holling episode. Marshall was on our list of cases to cover, but that nudge from the family really helped to make this story a priority for us. So this has actually become a pretty fast-moving case recently with a lot of new information coming out just this very week. So much so that we had to restructure this episode a few times. The first thing we want to say is that Marshall is considered to be a missing person by police, but friends and family have been passionately appealing to law enforcement to classify his case as criminal so that a deeper investigation can happen. Just this week, a petition began circulating asking that Marshall's case be classified as foul play. We will link it in the show notes. We were lucky enough to interview Marshall's sister Paige for this episode as we want to make sure we get the details as accurate as possible. Yeah, this is a very passionate and caring family that are fighting very hard for their loved one. We want to preface this case by saying it is pretty detail-heavy, and some oddities have happened as well, so we will do our best to break it down for everyone. Most importantly, Marshall is a person. He is a brother, a son, a cousin, and a friend, and he is missing. The emotional toll of this story impacts anyone who hears it. So who is Marshall Iwasa? At the time of his disappearance, Marshall is described as a 26-year-old man. He is a very fit guy standing at 5'11 and weighing 170 pounds. He has brown eyes and curly shoulder-length brown hair. 
He has multiple tattoos on his chest and arms. The tattoos look to me to be Japanese traditional and American traditional style. In fact, him and Paige have matching koi tattoos with the Japanese kanji of their last name on it. Uh, they got those together in Honolulu. Incidentally, Honolulu style tattoo is famous for that kind of fusion work ever since the Sailor Jerry days. Right. So Marshall grew up with his older sister Paige and his mom Tammy in Lethbridge, Alberta. Although they are the only biological siblings in the family, they have very close extended family of cousins and in-laws. According to Marshall's mom, Paige and Marshall were always close as children, teens, and into adulthood. She states that as a mom, it was incredible to have two kids who looked out for one another the way they did. Into adulthood, Paige and Marshall would spend time together traveling and camping. One of their favorite places to go was Hawaii. A few years ago, Paige would ultimately move there. When I asked Paige what Marshall was like as a person, she had this to say. He's quiet. I think that's the biggest thing that describes him is he is so quiet and pretty shy. He's not super outgoing and loud. He could very easily blend into a crowd. He's super kind, and once you get to know him, he's more open and outgoing. Growing up and into high school, he played a lot of sports. Then after high school, he really got into the gym scene. She also mentioned that he had a good amount of friendships in his life, including some that had lasted since elementary school. I asked Paige about a favorite memory, which is always a tough question, but she had this to say. There are so many. Um, last summer we went to Bamp for a week of camping. We were just camping around. They had a boys' tent, so it was just him and my husband and my husband's brother in one tent and us in the other. It was just fun. In the daytime, we would play camping games and go kayaking and hiking, and that was really nice. She also mentioned that they had participated in a gold hunt in Calgary last year. This is like a scavenger hunt where participants have to solve riddles using clues that they find all around town. Apparently the grand prize was $50,000. It was just something fun that they did together. Yeah, and recently, like we said, he was living in Calgary, Alberta, and he had just moved into a new apartment. From what I understand, it was a basement suite of a house below some really nice family. And they said he had always paid his rent on time, and he was a super nice guy. For work, Marshall did outdoor labor-type jobs. He had worked rigging jobs up in the oil patch of northern Alberta, but he also did construction as well as putting up power poles. From working labor jobs and living frugally for a few years, Marshall was able to save a chunk of cash. In the fall of 2018, he enrolled himself at the Southern Alberta Institute of Technology and began taking classes in one of their IT programs. So, Marshall sounds like a pretty great guy. In fact, you and I have seen a few videos of him, and he just seems so chill and kind. He just seems so normal. Yeah, I really, there's one video of him in Hawaii mm -hmm. where he's about to eat a mussel or something yeah. like that out of the ocean, and mm -hmm. he just seems like such a, like a chill guy that you'd want to hang out yeah. with. It was, I, it was actually really kind of emotional watching it totally. for me. It's so different watching a video of a missing person rather than just seeing a picture. Yeah. So we'll definitely post those videos on our website uh, so you guys can watch them as well. So Marshall has a solid friend group, a good family foundation, and he lives a healthy lifestyle. He works, he has an apartment, he has a truck, he's back in school. So what happened? Let's get into what we know about the last 24 hours of Marshall's known movements. Okay, so on Sunday, November 17th, 2019, Marshall spent the day doing chores and laundry at his home in Calgary. In the evening, he drove his dark blue GMC Sierra truck two hours south to the city of Lethbridge to visit his mom and help her with a computer problem. He left his mom's place to head back to Calgary around 11 p.m. His mom suggested that he stay the night, but he insisted on heading back that night. He told his mom that he had to stop by his storage locker, the one that he shared with his sister Paige, and this storage facility is located in the Northside Industrial Area of Lethbridge, which is about 15 to 20 minutes away from his mom's place. And was this on his way back to Calgary, or was he having to drive further away from home to N go to the No, street? he would be driving, because uh, Lethbridge is south of Calgary, so he would be driving out north. Okay, so it was on his way home anyway. Yeah, it was on his way home. This would actually be the last time that Marshall was ever seen, and Marshall would never make it to Calgary. He was last seen wearing a green hoodie, black pants, red high-top sneakers, and a gray toque or beanie-style hat. Yeah, and that green hoodie comes into play a little later. Okay. So according to logs at the storage facility, Marshall's code was used to enter around 11.30 p.m. However, and perhaps Marshall didn't know this, the facility was locked between 11 p.m. and 6 a.m. 
Records would go on to show that Marshall's code was entered multiple times between 11.30 p.m. and 3 a.m. Then there was a break for a few hours, and it's speculated that maybe he slept in his truck for a bit. But just after 6 a.m., Marshall's code was entered again, and he was granted access to the storage locker. Passcode records would show that he exited the facility around 8.30 a.m., so he was in the locker for about two hours. It is not known what Marshall was looking for in the locker. So I do want to interject here uh, in regards to the storage facility stuff. Uh, I do find this concerning. Yeah, there's a few aspects to it um, that are kind of anomalies. Like, mm-hmm. um, I did see a comment from Paige where she said that she herself didn't know about the storage locker hours either. Mm-hmm. And then I did see another comment that said that he was perhaps looking for a warranty for his laptop or something like that. But none of that has really been confirmed. Yeah. Right. So I do I do find it odd, one, that he's chosen to go at such a late hour. Because, I mean, most people, I mean, we have a storage locker. You and I have a storage locker. And I would, I wouldn't go at 11 p.m. expecting to get in. Yeah, I know. But I, I, I've also been confused sometimes where a storage locker says something about 24-hour access right. or just as – I've always assumed that they had 24-hour access. Yeah, and I guess me, I'm like, eh, I'm in bed by 11 o'clock, so nothing is important enough for me to go that late. But Marshall might be like a night owl kind of guy. Yeah, exactly, and sometimes it's good to go to those places when nobody's around or whatever. But, I mean, but, yeah, it is um, odd that he would decide to do that. And then when he was – Um, sort of like uh, not allowed in. Mm -hmm. I I mean, personally, I'm a bit of a quitter, so I would just kind of, I don't know, go home. Same. And that's I was just going to get into the his code being entered multiple times between 1130 and 3. Like, why wouldn't you just give up at that point and maybe sleep in your truck or go back to your mom's and try again? Yeah, well, I think ultimately he did sleep sleep in his truck is is what the theory is. But as we get more into it, um, maybe there's more to what happened at the storage locker than we previously thought. Totally. I think, I mean, for me, if I'm trying at 11 p.m. and it's not opening, I'm not going to go back at 3 a.m. and expect it to be different. Like 3 a.m. is an ungodly hour. So I would I would give up. But maybe it wasn't Marshall is my thought. Or Marshall was with somebody else. Yeah, and there is no CCTV footage of Marshall at the facility because it's deleted every seven days. So... When Marshall is at the storage facility, this is the morning of Monday, November 18th. And just five days later, on November 23rd, 2019, Marshall's truck would be found by a group of hikers at the bottom of a trailhead deep in the backcountry near Pemberton, British Columbia, 14 hours away. Marshall's truck, the GMC Sierra, had been completely torched. The truck had been burnt to its frame in what looks like an accelerant-driven fire. So from what I understand, the hikers had to hike back out from where the truck was found in order to get into cell range. Uh, The RCMP would attempt to find the truck on November 24th based on the hikers' information, but they actually couldn't find it. So that there is a good indicator of how deep in the woods this truck was. Yeah. So a second attempt was made, uh, and it was more successful the next day. On November 25th, Marshall's family was notified by Pemberton RCMP that his truck was found. And at this point, he wasn't even a missing person. So this news came as like a pretty big shock to Paige. And mm-hmm. from what I understand, Tammy was actually visiting Paige in Honolulu. Oh, so the like his mom and his sister were together in Hawaii. Yeah. So Paige immediately started calling around to friends and family to find out if anyone had been in contact with Marshall and no one had. So Marshall was then immediately classified as a missing person. So let's talk about the area the truck was found, the distance from Lethbridge to Pemberton, and the burn scene. So Marshall's truck was found at the trailhead for the Brian Waddington Hut approach trail. The Brian Waddington Hut is a shelter that can be reserved by backcountry hikers. It sleeps about 30 people on the floor in sleeping bags. The hut itself is deep in grizzly bear country. The structure was literally flown in by helicopters in three pieces in order to be assembled that far out in the mountains. The Brian Waddington Hut is about a two-hour hike from where Marshall's truck was found. Yeah, and from what I understand, those hikers did have a reservation um, for the hut that week. And also, it's considered a moderate hike, but from my research, it doesn't look moderate at all. Well, moderate to people who hike often. Yeah, it's also known as the Felix Creek 
trail, mm-hmm. which is a, a PH is how they spell Felix. Right. And sorry, these hikers that you're talking about are the hikers that were the ones that stumbled upon Marshall's truck. Yeah. But here's the deal. Marshall's truck, a simple GMC Sierra pickup, would have had to have traveled 13 kilometers up a gravel road and then another six kilometers up a narrow, overgrown forestry service road that requires four-wheel drive. This would have all occurred in the middle of November in the mountains of southwestern British Columbia, so very inclement weather. Yeah, this is like the rainiest and potentially snowiest, like one of the snowiest periods in this area. Yeah, and the site where Marshall's truck was found was literally the end of the road. The Mm -hmm. truck could go no further up that trail. Right. Um, directions to this spot are actually not accessible on GPS or in Google Maps. Okay. Like you have to know where you're going in order yeah. to get there. A man from Lethbridge in Calgary would have to know this exact hut existed. In the middle of nowhere in the Garibaldi mountain range or whatever. The Coast Mountain. Yeah. But that, yeah. This is, this is only a hut that's known to people who were like avid backcountry type hikers. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the Pemberton area. Yeah, so to give people an idea of where this is, the nearest town is Pemberton, British Columbia. Most people have probably heard of Whistler, B.C., the major ski destination. Pemberton is about 33 kilometers away from Whistler. More importantly, this spot is anywhere from a 12 to 15 hour drive from Lethbridge or Calgary. In fact, Marshall's family recently traveled to the site and it took them 30 hours due to unexpected delays. More about that later. Now let's get back to the burn site. Marshall's truck was burned to its frame. The hikers would state that it was not warm when they found it. And now keep in mind, this is only five days later. They found it on the 23rd of November. Yeah, and he was last, well, the passcodes were entered on the 18th, the morning of the 18th. So five days later, this truck is burned to its shell. And cold. And cold. Okay. They began to photograph the site as they felt that there was definitely something suspicious about finding a truck burnt out in such a remote space. Surrounding the truck were some of Marshall's belongings and other items. These items were not burned in the fire. In fact, they seem to have been placed in piles. So I'm going to quote from the FAQ section in the Find Marshall Iwasa Facebook group. We don't know why the items were scattered around, and this is a hard detail to try and figure out. It does not make sense for Marshall to remove the items and just leave them. This is especially true since many of the items found had no value to Marshall, expired passport, phones that were broken or not used in years, and training certificates that were long expired. We will get into more about the items and discrepancies of the burn scene later, but I do want to say that Marshall's green hoodie was found at the site. So there have been a few searches. The initial search of the area was conducted in November of 2019 with a combination of Vancouver, Whistler, and Pemberton RCMP. They searched the area for about a week with no indications of what happened to Marshall. In May of 2020, another smaller search was done by Pemberton RCMP. Again, nothing came of it. Now, this gap in search times had to do with the extreme weather the area can find itself in during the winter and then the heavy snowmelt season in the early spring. At the end of June 2020, a combination of Pemberton RCMP, the Lethbridge Police Service, and a private investigator hired by the family did another search of the mountain. Again, no marshal and no further evidence aside from the truck. All of these searches included ground personnel, dogs, underwater searches, as well as drones and helicopter surveillance. In July, the Awasa family teamed up with the Four Low BC 4x4 group, who took the family up to the truck site. I want to quote from a post Paige made about the trip up the mountain. This experience has confirmed what we have been feeling the entire time, that we do not believe Marshall was ever at the truck site. We studied the map so many times, knew exactly where we were going, and we still got lost at first trying to find the truck. Once we found the right road, we couldn't believe how overgrown, small, and difficult it was. We don't believe that he ever would have taken his vehicle up here by choice. We agree with many of you and those familiar with the area that this isn't a place where someone just ends up. Someone knew where they were going with Marshall's truck. To me, this feels like the end of wondering if Marsh was ever up on the mountain with his truck. It is now time for us to push for concrete evidence of what happened to Marshall after he was last confirmed in Lethbridge and get answers as to what happened to him. Jason McMurdo from Forlow, B.C. had this to say about the burn site. Quote, I was lucky enough to work with Paige and Kat on the trip to Pemberton last weekend. I am part of the Forlow, B.C. team. 
I can say with much certainty that his truck would have struggled to get to the location it was found in. It was just below the snow line, and the road would have been really overgrown and muddy back in November. Our vehicles are built for the terrain, and his was not. The chances of Marshall mapping out that path and continuing up that road with little backcountry experience is slim to none, in my opinion. Okay, so we're going to get into the investigation, the evidence, and some bizarre details of this case after a quick break. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. And we are back. So because this case is taking place across three cities, Calgary, Lethbridge, and Pemberton, and two provinces, British Columbia and Alberta, we want to clarify who is handling Marshall's case. Originally, it was the Pemberton-Whistler RCMP, but now the lead has been taken by the Lethbridge Police Service. I believe the Calgary Police Service also supports the investigation, but the lead is the Lethbridge Police Service. The family has also hired a PI firm to assist them with the investigation. So, what do we know and what has been found? Let's talk about the items that were found at this scene. As Marshall was the kind of guy who had to travel for work, his truck seemed to be full with a bunch of stuff. Items found at the scene included a current passport, an expired passport, there were three old or broken cell phones, a laptop he hadn't used in years, as well as clothing items including the green hoodie he was last seen wearing. Also found at the scene was an Xbox and a PlayStation. But here's the deal about the gaming systems. Marshall's Xbox and PlayStation were actually found still at his apartment. So whose gaming systems are these? And why were they left there? There were also items at the scene that the family are sure did not belong to Marshall, but those items cannot be disclosed at this time. According to LPS, or the Lethbridge Police Service, they have fingerprinted some items and saved others for future DNA testing. The strangest thing about the items occurred when the family compared the photos from the hikers taken on November 23rd and the photos taken by the RCMP on November 25th. It is clear by the photos that the items had been moved around and some were missing. Some items had become more scattered, but others had been sorted into neat piles, including one pile that seemed to be personal identifying items, like the passports. People have theorized that these items could have been shifted by animal behavior or weather, but why would they be moved from piles into newer piles? This is suspicious. Okay, so about the moved items, Paige had this to say, quote, In the photos, you can see that there are items that are moved, missing, or damaged in the two days between the hikers taking the photos and the RCMP taking the photos. The Lethbridge police released a statement that it may have been hikers that moved the items, but I have a hard time believing that hikers would just show up and disrupt the scene. It's also very weird how the items are moved. 
At one point, there is no piles of marshals identifying information, but when the RCMP got there, there was a pile with his passport, a cell phone, and another piece of ID. The police said it may be animals that moved it, but a bear is not going to pile up a cell phone and a passport into a nice little pile, end quote. So oddly, the Lethbridge Police Service has been doing a bit of a tit-for-tat sort of thing with the family. The family will release something, and then the Lethbridge Police Service will feel the need to respond. So this is what the police service had to say about the discrepancies. Quote, some of Iwasa's clothing was found in a trail leading away from the vehicle into the forest. Investigators are aware there is a discrepancy between photos taken by the original hikers who located the scene and called the police and RCMP photos taken when police officers arrived sometime later. It is possible other backcountry users encountered the items prior to the RCMP arrival and police are asking anyone who may have happened across the scene and inadvertently disturbed the items to come forward. Okay, so we've got different piles, we've got different photos, we've got evidence at the scene. Let's talk about the truck. Right. So local RCMP have conducted a fire investigation and have not released their findings. However, the family hired their own investigator, and those findings were released just this week. The private fire investigator concluded that arson was the cause of the blaze that burnt Marshall's truck. Now, without the fire, the truck would have been in pretty bad shape from the drive up. When I talked to Paige, she stated that although the truck made it up the mountain, it would have been so trashed that there's no way that it was ever going to make it back down the mountain. Right. And the potentially the hugest thing was this truck, the steering column, had been completely removed. That's right. The one thing you 100% need to steer any vehicle was removed. Yeah, and apparently the RCMP knew that Mm -hmm. from the very beginning. Like, Paige (laughs) asked if it, like, where where is the steering column? Like, we've just noticed that it's missing when they went up in July. And they were like, yeah, no, it's been missing the whole time. And they didn't tell the family that? No. Oh, my goodness. And it wasn't melted or anything like that. It's straight up missing. Right. So we did look into this a little. If a person were using the right tools and knew what they were doing, it would probably take about mm, two hours to remove a steering column. And they would be doing this on the side of a mountain, not just the side of a mountain, in the middle of nowhere. Like, they can't go back and forth to get more shit if they need more shit to get the steering column out. Yeah, in November. In, yeah, in, like, sideways rain or snow. We also tried to find out why someone would want to do this, and the only thing we could find was that intact airbags have a pretty high resale value. Apparently, you can fetch about $3,000, which is more than you could get for a lot of the parts on a 2009 Sierra. That's just a thought. But then why else would someone want to lug a steering column down a mountain? And how would they? Unless there was a second vehicle, or perhaps it was scavengers. But I looked into the scavenger theory a little. This was an area that was frequented by backcountry hikers. Now, backcountry hikers tend to have a pretty high degree of integrity. It's not uncommon for them to assist in searches or to come upon crime scenes. I just don't see them filling their backpacks with steering columns and personal items. Mm -hmm. So maybe, and I mean maybe, some local heard about the truck or stumbled upon it and then drove up there in an ATV to disturb the items and put them in new piles while removing a steering column? People do strange things, but it seems like a stretch. The Lethbridge Police Service had this to say about the truck. Iwasa's burnt-out truck remains situated due to the extremely challenging remote terrain where it was found. Due to the weather conditions when the vehicle was first located and now a rock slide blocking the access road, It is physically impossible to have a tow truck access and remove the truck at this time. Upon being located, the truck was examined at the scene. The vast majority of the information learned during the investigation to date has been shared with Awas's family. However, not all relevant and pertinent information has been shared with the public or on social media forums. The investigator's report contains additional details and insights into the circumstances, scene, and evidence which has not and will not be shared in order to protect the integrity of an ongoing investigation. We've talked about items that were found, but what wasn't found? For starters, Marshall's current phone, a Samsung Galaxy S6, has not been found. His Mountain Hardware Scrambler 30 backpack has not been found. 
His wallet has not been found. A laptop that was provided to him through school is still missing. And lastly, his glasses, contacts, and contact solution have not been found. The details around Marshall's digital footprint have been sparse due to his case being considered a missing person rather than a crime. So let's talk about what we can confirm. There has been no deep dive into his bank records, but police have disclosed that there has been no activity in his accounts since the start of November. There has been no disclosure of his spending habits before then. According to Page, Marshall wasn't really a social media guy, so there's been no trace of him through Facebook or Instagram. And as we learned in our Jordan Hauling episode, getting helpful information from the larger social media platforms can be challenging. They did manage to check his school email, but nothing was ever found. So Marshall had a Samsung Galaxy that I believe was connected to the Bell network. From what we gathered, Marshall was more of a pay-as-you-go type of phone user. He would sometimes run out of minutes and rely mostly on Wi-Fi and chat apps, which is not uncommon for a frugal person. According to the police, there has been no activity on Marshall's phone since he went missing. So, that's our evidence so far. After a quick break, we're going to get into some theories and updates on Marshall's case. are back. Okay, so we have a handful of theories to go through. Yeah, so the first theory is that Marshall for some reason has chosen to go missing. That could mean that he has gone completely off the grid or that he has run away from his life in Alberta to start new somewhere else. This theory is being pushed by the Lethbridge Police Service. The idea is that Marshall went up to his storage locker, got prepared, then drove his truck for 14 hours, drove up a road that he had never been on, then burnt his truck deep in the backcountry and walked away into some new life. The justification for this theory was provided in a police statement on June 15th. Here is a quote from the statement. From the onset of this investigation, Iwasa's disappearance has been considered suspicious. However, there is no credible, corroborated, or compelling information to suggest foul play or that the occurrence is criminal in nature. The investigation has determined that prior to his disappearance, Iwasa had hidden the fact that he stopped attending post-secondary classes. In examining Iwasa's personal affairs in the months leading up to his disappearance, including interviews with close friends as well as his financial, medical, and social media activity, there is evidence to suggest that he was experiencing stress in his life and had become withdrawn. Okay, so let's unpack that statement a little. Marshall's family do admit that Marshall had stopped going to school. They also admit that he had not shared that information with them. Apparently, he had enrolled in school in September of 2018. That school year would have ended in April of 2019. It would have been around then that he would have been making the decision to not go back, and by September of 2019, he was officially no longer in school. It's the family's belief that, yeah, He may have struggled to talk to his family about taking a break from school, but what 26-year-old includes their family in all of their decisions? Right. It's definitely not uncommon for a person to wrestle with a decision before announcing it to the world. Marshall was also doing an unpaid internship at the time, so it is possible he felt he was learning more out of that than at school. As we all know, not everyone thrives in school environments. But the thing police are hung up on is the fact that he hadn't disclosed the information to his family or friends. The other part of the police theory is that Marshall was experiencing stress and had become withdrawn. Now, I can't really speak to the stress thing as I don't know what evidence they have for that. It could be very true. We do live in a stressful time, and being 26 and finding your way in life is not easy. But we can speak to the withdrawn comment. From what friends and family have said in interviews, Marshall was already a pretty quiet guy. He was introverted and he kept to himself. He wasn't the type of person to overshare. He could be outgoing when he was comfortable with people, but his normal gear seemed to be pretty chill. He would even go sometimes a few weeks or so without communicating through texts, emails, or calls. Another thing to consider around the idea of him being withdrawn is that Marshall often went away for work into remote areas with little or no cell coverage. So with this theory, the idea is that Marshall went off to start a new life. 
If he was doing that, his bank statements, phone records, and the presence of his possessions in his apartment don't support that. There is the idea that he went off the grid. Now, Marshall was an experienced hiker and camper, but he was not a backcountry type of person. He was more of a day-trip hiker or the kind of person to unpack a tent at a lakeside campsite for a few days with friends and family. According to Paige, all of his camping gear is still in the storage locker. We asked Paige if she thought he could just go off the grid. She had this to say. Yes and no. He was definitely the type who was okay with not having social media and being sort of off the grid and doing his own thing. But he always kept in contact with us. It's been nine months now. This is not just him going off the grid. Okay, so just to recap, this theory is that Marshall visited his mom, went to his storage locker, drove 1,200 kilometers to a place that you can't find on GPS, ripped out his steering column, torched his own truck, and disappeared into the forest to live, or moved on to a new secret life. And he did all this because he was stressed, withdrawn, and had just quit school eight months earlier. Okay, so let's say he did run away to start a new life. So if you're going to do that, and you're going to do it properly, you're not going to bring your old cell phone with you, you're not going to use your old banking information, and you're certainly not going to, you know, take your Xbox with you. Yeah, right. And and I guess the roadblocks that come into this case constantly are that he's classified as a missing person. So Mm -hmm. what happens there is the police cannot investigate deep dives into his bank account or deep dives into his phone records. They can only do like so much last transactions and last phone calls. And they know that there's no new transactions. Mm -hmm. And from what I understand, when I was looking into the Ryan um, uh, Stutka case is that they can do what's known as a humanitarian ping on the phone. So they get like one shot to see where that phone might be. Yeah. So, I mean, it's clear that there's still a lot of unknowns about Marshall's disappearance and the police most likely are holding back some evidence as they usually do in Mm -hmm. these types of scenarios. I think they call it integrity of the case or something like that, or they hold on to evidence in case something that only the, the perpetrator would know or, or what have you. Exactly. So can I just confirm with you? I don't know if you know this or not. They haven't been able to get into his phone records for like last phone calls or who he might have been into contact with before his missing, before he went missing. All they did was they did that humanitarian ping. I I can't 100% say that. All I know from what I talked to Paige and from what I've read on the group is that they know the phone has not been used since the beginning of November. Okay. And because he was also using Wi Fi. Mm -hmm. Oh, wait. That might not even be on the phone record. Exactly. Unless there is some sort of. Uh, you know, like a GPS that, that, but then I think they would have to go beyond Bell and go to Samsung for that. Yeah. So based on what we know now, let's leave this theory for now and move on to another theory. If you read between the lines of the LPS statement, there is a veiled indication that perhaps Marshall died from suicide. We do need to talk about self-harm or suicide as a theory. This is a sensitive topic, and if you have ever lost a loved one from suicide, you will know how painful it is to talk about. We do want to be very mindful, compassionate, and careful as we discuss this theory. The police have indicated that through interviews with friends and family that they had come to the conclusion that Marshall had become stressed and withdrawn. These can be markers or precursors to suicide attempts. In this theory, again, Marshall would have visited his mom, gone to his storage locker, driven 14 hours to a place he had never been, removed his steering column and belongings from the truck, torched it, and died of suicide. Yeah, and Marshall was also incredibly close with Paige. Mm -hmm. Like, Marshall walked Paige down the aisle Mm -hmm. for her wedding, so... To me, that doesn't seem plausible, that he wouldn't want to communicate with her. Mm -hmm. Um, But I asked Paige her thoughts on self-harm, and she had this to say. And I... I got to say, like, she answered this so clearly and concisely for me. Quote, I don't think it was self-harm. Had it been self-harm, had he gone up there to commit suicide, there would be a body, and there is no body. We don't believe it was self-harm because of the condition the truck was found in, and it's not a place he is familiar with. He had no way of getting there. It's not somewhere you can just GPS and go. 
Marshall has never had any previous suicide attempts or suicidal ideation. He was definitely under stress from school. He had talked to me about being stressed about school before he got in, but I don't believe it was self-harm or suicide. She also made this very sobering observation, which made a lot of sense to me. Quote, if someone wants to commit suicide, lots of times it's somewhere they feel comfortable with, like home or a basement or a neighborhood or somewhere sentimental to them. But this is just not the case. We don't really want to belabor the points on this theory. Based on our research that we have done on this case, the only evidence of self-harm would be that Marshall was an inconsistent communicator who had recently quit school and was feeling stressed and appeared withdrawn. So to us, the traditional indicators of suicide aren't really here. That, coupled with the burned-out truck, just doesn't really seem to tell that story. So let's move on. Okay, so maybe it was uh, an accident. That's the next theory. Uh, this theory is that Marshall drove his truck up there to go on a hike or backpacking or camping. He then got lost and succumbed to the elements. In this theory, again, a second party would have had to have found the truck removed the steering column, sorted through Marshall's stuff, and then torched the truck. This theory may be plausible. However, there are a lot of variables. Even if we didn't include the burnt-out truck, Marshall was not a deep backcountry hiker. And as far as we know, he didn't have the proper gear to be backpacking in the mountains of British Columbia in the middle of winter. Okay, so let's get into the concept of foul play. The more we look at this case, the more this seems plausible. In fact, based on the searches failing to show any signs of life or death, it is a strong-held belief by the family that Marshall was never at the truck site. So let's start at the beginning. Lethbridge. We know that Marshall was last seen in Lethbridge. We know that his code was entered into the keypad throughout the night on November 17th and into the 18th. We know that his truck was found five days later. So what happened in those five days? Lethbridge is an interesting city. It is a town in southern Alberta with a population of about 100,000 people. The city itself sits on the ancestral land of the Blackfoot people. From most accounts, it is a nice city to live in and raise a family. The economy in Lethbridge is quite diverse. There are strong ties to agriculture, healthcare, education, and government work. The city is also a major transportation hub as it has four provincial highways traveling through it. However, Lethbridge is in Alberta, which is a province whose economy relies heavily on the oil and gas sector. And for those who haven't been watching, the economy of Alberta has been a bit of a roller coaster for the past decade with high booms and low busts. Like with a lot of North American cities, it's struggling with crime and crime fueled by addiction. When people lose their livelihoods, they have to choose other ways to survive. In 2019, Lethbridge was ranked the 15th most dangerous city in Canada in a report by Maclean's Magazine based on data from Statistics Canada. Lethbridge ranks very high in common assaults and break-ins, but it actually has a very low murder rate. Lethbridge ranks 232nd for homicides on the list of 237 Canadian communities with a population of 10,000 or more. The north side of Lethbridge is a pretty stark industrial area. It isn't a pleasant part of town by any means. There are quite a few lots and overgrown fields. Yeah, and that's the area that Marshall's storage locker was in. Mm -hmm. Another aspect we want to talk about is the nature of Marshall's work. Marshall had worked on and off in the oil patches in Alberta. While we don't want to make any sweeping judgment about oil patch work, it is important to point out that criminal activity and drug dealing in the patch has been an issue in the past. I'm going to quote from a 2012 Globe and Mail article. Since 2005, dozens of young men from Canada's Somali community have been killed, most of them casualties along a cocaine-dusted corridor between housing projects of Toronto and the oil patch in Alberta. Most cases remain unsolved. The Somali-Canadian community may be rooted in Toronto, but the source of its grief is in Alberta, where at least 23 young men have died in the past seven years. Yeah, we should point out that Marshall is not Somali, nor is he from Toronto, but the point of, of quoting this article is just to show that there is dodgy shit going on in the patch. I asked Paige if Marshall had any involvement with crime. She said this, Not that we know of. A lot of his friends were from around the gym or people he had grown up with. 
She went on to say, Marshall lived very frugally. He lived like a student. There were no major spending or anything like that. But again, because of where we're at right now, nothing is off the table. We just want to follow theories that have proof behind it. So we're not closing anything off. Other than we can definitively say that that mountain has been extensively searched and there is no body up there. I asked Paige if she had any theories around foul play. She had this to say. I have no idea. It could be wrong place at the wrong time, mistaken identity, who knows. It could really be anything and I'm not willing to take anything off the table because we don't have any evidence for any of those. It's so hard not to go down so many rabbit holes. So what we've been trying to stick with is what do we know, what doesn't make sense, what are we missing, and just kind of a process of elimination. So, to recap the foul play theory, the idea here is that Marshall went to his storage locker and at some point met with foul play. The perpetrators then drove his truck to Pemberton and torched it. They also made the choice to leave his passport and ID out so that he could later be identified. And of course, steal his steering column. We find this theory to be quite plausible and so does the family and Marshall's Facebook group. So, where are we at today? Because Marshall's case is a missing person rather than foul play, a lot of pieces are not there. This is due to the Missing Person Act that helps the privacy of citizens in Canada. After all, if an adult wants to go missing, it is their right. But because of that, the police have not been able to pull footage from highway cameras, dash cams, or gas stations. And I believe that whoever would have driven his truck from Lethbridge to Pemberton would have had to fill their tank at least three times. There's also been no deep dives into his banking accounts or phone pings. And because it isn't a criminal case, there has been no crime-based detective conducting this crime investigation. All of this is limiting the scope of the investigation and eating up valuable time for the Awasa family. This week has been an eventful one. The private fire investigator did say he found evidence of arson, but that hasn't been corroborated by the RCMP fire investigator. Therefore, there is still no crime. The Awasa family held a press conference this week and started a petition to have Marshall's case move from a missing person into a criminal investigation. So far, the petition has garnered 4,500 signatures. In an odd turn of events, the Lethbridge Police Service then released a statement two days later, and here's the statement in its entirety. The Lethbridge Police Service understands the family of Marshall Iwasa is seeking answers in relation to his disappearance, and we can assure the community the investigation will remain open and ongoing until he is located. A thorough and comprehensive investigation has been undertaken, and any and all new evidence or information that comes to light in future will continue to be vigorously pursued. Iwasa, who was 26 years old at the time he was reported missing, was last seen by relatives in Lethbridge on November 17, 2019. He told family he was returning to Calgary but has not been seen or heard from since. He was reported missing on November 25, 2019, after his burned-out truck was located in the British Columbia backcountry. From the onset of the missing person investigation, Iwasa's disappearance has been considered suspicious. However, as previously stated, there is no credible, corroborated, or compelling evidence to suggest foul play or that the matter is criminal in nature. Not all information and evidence in this case has been or can be shared publicly with the Iwasa family in order to protect the integrity of the ongoing investigation. LPS is aware of an online petition initiated by the Iwasa family to have the missing person case reclassified as criminal. However, in order for any investigation to be deemed criminal, there must be evidence to support that a crime has occurred. With respect to the Iwasa investigation, there is no such evidence and the matter cannot be reclassified at this time. No further comment or interviews will be provided in relation to this matter. This statement, obviously, has created quite a bit of outrage towards the LPS on social media and has been a key point of heartbreak and frustration in the Find Marshall Iwasa Facebook group. We asked Paige how our listeners can help, and she said the following. I think the biggest thing would be joining the Facebook group, Find Marshall Iwasa. That's how we are keeping people informed and in the loop with what we're doing right now. If they join the group at any time, they're going to know exactly what we're doing right now. We want people to sign the petition. We want them to share our information in whatever groups they're involved in. They can put up posters, they can share posters, 
Anything like that is always helpful. Now, the family also has a GoFundMe, and we'll link that in our show notes. This fund has been used for the family to hire the PI as well as bankroll their own searches. And this fund has obviously been quickly drained as a result of these costs. So anything helps. We will link the GoFundMe and the petition in the show notes. We ask you all to join the Facebook group and share the information as well as the posters. The family is very open to suggestions and ideas. All ideas are heard on the Facebook group. Before we end this episode, we want to share a post from Marshall's mom, Tammy. She posted the following on Christmas Day, 2019. Since Marshall has gone missing, there isn't a moment that goes by that doesn't hurt. Marshall is a kind, quiet, and gentle soul. When Marshall was young, he started playing football on a city league. After a few practices, he told me he wanted to quit. When I asked him why, Marshall said he didn't mind if someone tackled or hit him, but he didn't want to tackle them. Marshall never wanted to run the risk of hurting anyone. This is the kind of kid Marshall was and the kind of man Marshall is. Marshall would help anyone, and now he needs our help. This is heart-wrenching for all of us. We love him and miss him so much. My heart is broken for Paige and Marshall. Anyone who knows Paige and Marshall knows that they are extremely close. The bond they share is incredible and undeniable. Paige had Marshall walk her down the aisle to marry her wonderful partner, Dawson. Paige and Marshall are not just siblings. They are best friends. Please know that the time and effort each of you are putting into finding Marshall matters and makes a difference. I believe we are all connected and we have one common goal. Find Marshall and bring him home. I am humbled by the kindness and support of family, friends, and those of you I have not had the pleasure of meeting yet. Please don't stop looking, praying, and spreading the word that Marshall is missing and we want to find him and bring him home. At the time of Marshall's disappearance in Lethbridge, Alberta, Marshall Iwasa is described as a 26-year-old man standing 5'11 and weighing 170 pounds. He has brown eyes and curly shoulder-length brown hair. He was driving a four-door, short-box, dark-blue 2009 GMC Sierra pickup truck. The family strongly believe that the search now needs to be focused on Lethbridge and that someone knows something. If you have any information on Marshall's disappearance, please call the Lethbridge Police Service at 403-328-4444 or call Crime Stoppers at 1-800-222-8477. Thank you all so much for listening. We ask that you please share this episode to get as many ears on this case as possible. Thank you everyone for supporting the podcast. We will have a new episode for you in two weeks. Until then, stay safe, everyone. Stay safe, you guys.